The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. That's him! That's the warrior! It's John Cyrus! You crazy. I didn't do nothing. We saw him! Yeah, that's him. He's the one! He's the one! The warriors did it! The warriors did it! Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today I got two special guests who helped me celebrate the 40th anniversary of one of my favorite movies of all time. Talking about 1979, The Warriors. Yeah, Warriors. Danny Boy O'Connor from House of Pain returns. He was on Talk is Jericho when we did the 35th anniversary show on the Outsiders movie uh, last year. Danny is back. And this time he's brought with him actor Apache Ramos, who was in the movie The Warriors. Apache was in The Orphans. Uh, We're going to rain down on you, Warriors. This is a big line. He's got some great stories about how he got the part, what it was like being in the nearly forgotten gang. The the Orphans are kind of the jobbers of of the movie. And why they didn't even have cool jackets or vests like the other gangs in the movie. A lot of great, great gimmicks of all these gangs. We're talking favorite warrior, favorite fight scene. What made this movie such a cult status film? And why we think it should never be rebooted or have a sequel. Maybe you ought to show me your invitation. How do you figure? Will you come arming down here, invading our territory? No permits, no parley. We're not invading. And I'm parleying right now. We were just at that big meeting up in the Bronx. We're going home to Coney. The train gets messed up by the fire and dumps us here. I don't know what you're talking about, man. How could this be a big meeting if the Orphans wasn't there? Listen, you didn't miss anything. There was a lot of hassle, a lot of heads got busted. Yeah, you think the Orphans ain't with it? You, you think the Orphans ain't well-known? We didn't say that. Well, we got a heavy rep. You mess with us and you'll find that out. Let's get rolling into it here. So uh, about a year ago or two years ago, um, Danny uh, O'Connor, Danny Boy O'Connor, and I sat down to talk about the war, uh, to talk about the Outsiders, the 30th, 5th anniversary of the Outsiders. And it was a huge hit. And so when I found out it was the 40th anniversary of a very similar movie in a different way of the Warriors, I wanted to get on on board and and, uh, and talk again. And this time we're joined also with, with with Apache Ramos, who was actually in the Warriors, who was one who was one of the orphans. But uh, first and foremost, Dan, isn't it crazy how there's a lot of similarities between the Warriors and the Outsiders? Have you ever noticed that before? Me, I mean, for me, they're both they're cold classics. Both of them are are you know. Have some similarities. There's differences, but yeah, for sure. 
yeah, both about young gangs that are kind of trying to make their way in the world. Obviously, one's a little bit more hardcore in, in New York City and the other one's for, from Oklahoma, but lots of uh, similarities there. But Apache, you were actually in the movie The Warriors 40 years ago. How does it feel to have the 40th year anniversary going on right now? Unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, when we, we filmed in 1978, none of us had any idea that would have turned into the Rocky Horror of gang movies. I mean, it, it was, it's, you know, it's amazing. It's, uh, you know, my part was small, but people remember it. And, and uh, they, I think I said, we're going to rain on you warriors a thousand times, man. <laughs> and, uh, but I mo- what I like most about it in the last 40 years is that the people who've seen it and what it meant to, it, to them the first time they saw it, which is the, question i always ask when i do these sign-ins and uh, the best stories are the ones that people saw with their father you know one kid said that his father never came around and then his father promised to see him to take take him to the movies and he didn't take him and then he was supposed to see lady in the tramp and he took him to see the warriors and he bonded with his father forever you know stories like that and to be part of that even a small part of it it's like you know, having a Super Bowl ring, you know, being on the bench and still getting a ring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, what was your what was your first uh, encounter with the Warriors? In like 79, my older cousin went to see it. He was actually originally from the Bronx. And when he went to go see it, there were a lot of reports that people were like fighting in the theaters and they were protesting the movie. And so there was a lot of controversy around it. So I remember being scared. So I never saw it on its original release in the theater. I think I had to wait till the 80s until it came out on VHS tape to finally experience it. So I, because thinking back, I was too young, even though I just turned 50, it was right at that era where like, I don't know how long it stayed in theaters, but it also now, you know, knowing what I know now, when I look back, another one of my favorite movies, which, which, which is like, you know, seven degrees of some kind of bacon is Over the Edge, and Over the Edge followed on the heels of the Warriors, but because of the Warriors getting like uh, protested and banned in theaters, they pivoted their advertising in the in the 11th hour and try to say that it was a horror movie instead of being a, you know, a, dra- a dramatic film, and that was Matt Dillon's first film, and it's what led him to getting the gig in text, and once he got text, which is an S.D. Hinton book, and the same... Uh, producer on that Essie Hinton meets him and puts him in in the rest of the movies in The Outsiders and in Rumblefish so for me it's they're all connected together like that and they all feel good so you know I remember um the first time I saw it was my my friend was his name was Rod Slaughter and his sister (laughs) (laughs) what a name right is that Sergeant Slaughter yeah (laughs) but his sister had the the soundtrack album and the cover is the is, is was the movie poster, which if you if you remember it, it's this amazing piece of art where all the gangs, there's like 100, 200, 300 gangs in the very front, like Swan's there, and then one of the Baseball Furies, and then uh, Cleon is there, and one of the Lizzie's. And, and I remember just seeing this, and it, the, the tagline was, these are the armies of the night. And they kind of had like they're a hundred thousand strong. They own New York City, and it was just like, what is this? So he was always telling me about the Warriors, but of course, like Danny said, we're almost the same age. I, we were too young to go. I was probably seven or eight years old. So it became kind of a 
like a, a holy grail movie. Like someday when I'm old enough, I'm gonna watch this movie. And then like, you, <laughs> <laughs> and then like you said, Dan, I think it was probably when 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 the advent of VHS came up uh, that you could actually go rent it was when the first time I actually got a chance to see it. Yep, for sure. Now, a- Apache, tell us about how. You kind of got the gig in in the wars because <laughs> and for people who, who are watching or listening to this, Apache's in, in orphans. He's like the second in command. He's got a huge, awesome seventies afro. <laughs> I rocked the fro, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us how you got cast in that. Well, you know, uh, uh, I had never really seen a play until I went to college, and I went to college in New England, and. Uh, I had this great teacher. Uh, he was a fisherman from Maine, Gladden Schrock. Shout out. And he'd come down once a month. It was only a playwriting course. So I started writing plays and he dug it. He told me to mount them and I was doing stuff like that. And he said, uh, he sent me for my apprenticeship and I went to y- uh, Napa Valley. Anyways, long story. So I finally graduate and, uh, you know, I'm trying to be an actor and nobody's hiring me, man. You know, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting no gigs. I was doing okay when I had my own theater group. But so when I'm in New York, I was getting really, uh, you know, hardcore. It was a, it was a hell of a time, you know, 19, in the seventies, I graduated college in 76, the bicentennial and, uh, New York city was, was, was lit up, man. You know, it was, uh, was, uh, some crazy times, especially in the summer of 77, you know, the blackout, son of Sam, it was, it was crazy, crazy times. And we did have those gangs and stuff, but. So I'm auditioning and I had an agent, uh, which I got through a friend of mine at the time named Treat Williams, another actor. Yeah. So I went to the audition and I had gotten so many rejections. I wasn't really wasn't wasn't into it. I mean, I was doing plays. I, I did a play with the Nation of Islam called Armageddon with Saladin Shakur, stuff like that. But so anyways, I go to this Paramount Pictures and there's a thousand people in there, but there's all these people in there. And I really didn't care at this point. I had a t-shirt. I didn't even have a resume, I don't think. I had a t-shirt, black t-shirt, bronze silver letters, shorts, and a bottle of rum. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And so, and so I'm sitting there, you know, watching all the people look like me, just all kinds of gangs and stuff. And I'm sipping my rum on the slide. And this white dude sits next to me. He had a beard, a little bit of beard and cap. We start talking, you know, he takes a sip, it goes away. So when I they call my name, Apache Ramos, I go in there, and I've been sitting next to Walter Hill the whole time. <laughs> oh, wow. He's the director, yeah. Yeah, so Walter Hill's like, oh, man, I wish I'd have met you sooner. I might have cast you as one of the Warriors, but would you take this part in The Orphans? And I was like, hell yeah, you know, I'll do it. And then uh, when I read it, I was like, man, this game, this gang is really lame. I mean, we were like <laughs> the Rodney Dangerfield of games, you know. In fact, uh, they didn't even have a, a jacket uh, that for us. They just had a T-shirt because they ran out of money. So, you know, uh, I got the part. And uh, Walter wouldn't let us see the Warriors. Me and Paul Greco, uh, rest in peace, my brother, he wouldn't let us see them. So we, Paul and I said, well, we got these lame lives. We're going to try to make the best out of them, you know? So when we actually saw them was the first time we were filming. When we saw them, we started laughing because <laughs> we were laughing. We were like, get the f- out of here, you know? Because I was born in Brooklyn and raised in the Bronx, and that's why my blood type <laughs> is positive. But, you know, they, did, they were not threatening at all. But, uh, you know, that scene... Uh, you know, everybody likes the orphans in a way because everybody's been an orphan at that time. So, you know, years later, 
I didn't even go to the opening. I wasn't invited. That's too often stick. We're never invited, right? <laughs> That's why I got a big fan base because, uh, you know, everybody's felt like an orphan. But when the video game came out, uh, it really souped it up. You know, at that time, when I when the video games came out, which I never played, I put my money in the jukebox. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw these big uh, signs in, in uh, Union Square and all over the city actually saw me, it really gave a boost to the Warriors, you know? Mm-hmm. And we got a whole new population. But I can keep talking. Go ahead, let Danny talk a little bit. Hey, <laughs> you're talking, so you're talking about when Rockstar Games came out with the, in the, in yeah, the yeah. late 90s, yeah, they re, they re kind of uh, ignited the brand because it was a cult classic forever. It's one of those movies that's a rite of passage. It's, it's no different than seeing A Clockwork Orange or Quadrophenia or, or the Who's movie or whatever. It was, it was in the long line of those. But uh, you guys, the orphans, for me, they didn't have that same like marquee value until later when I started to, you know, I've seen the movie a thousand times. But now they're one of my favorites because they are the outcasts of the outsiders of that movie. <laughs> that's what makes them special is because they're not all like, you know, high pro glowed up. They're just holding down their court. And right, uh, we didn't even have a jacket. <laughs> I mean, we were like the Rodney Dangerfield game. <laughs> but because uh, and the gangs is one of the things that I just love to this day. I just watched the movie last night. And you see all the different factions of gangs, and they all have gimmicks. It's very much a pro yeah. wrestling, pro wrestling, pro rock, wrestling you know, rock and roll type theme. And the orphans gimmick—they're like the ACDC of of the <laughs> gangs. They don't have a gimmick; they just wear their jeans and t-shirts. And yeah, but we had mercy. <laughs> yeah, but you're focused on too, like you know, we don't know about the Turnbull ACs, and we don't know a lot about a lot of these right, right. gangs. But the or- orphans, we do know their 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 gimmick, their fact that they're very disrespected, and it's a really great scene. And the fact that you guys are going to let the warriors through until the chick starts pulling her power <laughs> and ruins it all, which we've all been through before. <laughs> Yeah, she wasn't Miss Elizabeth. She was more like Sable. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Warriors, come out to play. Warriors, come out to play. Daddy, tell us about the first time you saw the Warriors. Do you remember when you finally got to see it? Yeah, of course. I, I watched it. I got it. I rented it, and I watched it about a thousand times at home. And so, I mean, that movie for me is like it precursors hip hop. As far as like being a young guy, you know, that was like my window into looking into New York again because I'm a native New Yorker who moved to California in like the same year Apache graduated from college. Not to make him feel old or nothing, <laughs> I came to LA in about '76. 
And then I had this affinity for everything New York. And so anytime a movie had a character that would have been like a New York type of dude, whether it was Fast Times or Ridgemont High, that's why I like, you know, Mike Damone. Right. I felt like he was an East Coast vibe or the Warriors. I was able to like tap into like what I felt I was missing, which was that that style that New York had. At the, at the time, L.A. was just like surf skate culture. You know what I mean? And that was a little bland to me until later. So I was always missing for like the R&B and hip hop and soul and that New York toughness and that movie personified, especially when you're a kid. I know Bobby Manick, shout out to her too, who was yeah, the, Bobby. the lady who did, Bobby did the wardrobe for, and, and the costumes for all that. And she got a lot of um, stuff from like uh, Ziggy Stardust and Kiss and, and a lot of other influences. And when you see all those gangs, there's also a music kind of yes. uh, tie-in with that as well. She's a wonderful woman and, and, and shout out to her because, you know, you look at you look at the movie when you're 50 and you're like, believe me, I've been, I've been thinking it for a long time. Like what Apache said, it's like, you know, we grew up in that street life. So that's like, it's corny, but you keep in mind that there's other things going on. And at the time that was the coolest movie on the planet. And, and, and it still is because I'm looking at it with those eyes. Nowadays, if you had a, if you got stuck in the Bronx and you needed to make it to Coney Island, you call Uber. You'd be you'd like, you know, forty minutes. We don't got a movie. But in those days, in the seventies, what Apache saying? There's a garbage strike. The president tells the city, which is going bankrupt, to to screw off. Son of Sam is killing women, so they're they're dying their hair not to meet. The, you know, right? And the Yankees are winning World Series, so it was it was it was a hectic. Uh, place to live in the 70s and a lot of people were coming back from vietnam man strung out on that stuff and so oh, i remember the kids in the 70s it was no joke and, and and that movie will always be that classic you know you know and that's the other thing about it, it captures that time period you know it came, we filmed in 79 but it came out in 70 i mean we filmed in 78 came out in 79 and it's something really dark and dangerous about those times but yet there's certain kind of beauty with with uh Rembrandt with the uh, tagging stuff, yep. there was something, yep. up, you know, there was magic in the air. And the whole threat, you know, the movie's not violent at all. I mean, uh, Fox gets thrown yep. into the subway because he basically didn't want to be in the film no more. And uh, just that little shooting. But the what scared people was the, the whole concept of, of if we all got together, we could take over right. And that was the scary part because it was young people. It was different times. Like you said, Vietnam War, women's there, the whole bit. But it still holds up. And that's what I love about it. Like you said, it very much is a period piece. But because and we'll talk about this in a bit, because some a, a lot of those actors went on to have very successful careers. I mean, James Remar, I mean, it's still so funny yeah. to see how young he looks here. But I love Dexter. It's great. Every character has a real it's not just a typical group movie like, you know, uh, Expendables or something where there's 10 guys and you don't really know. Like, we know each and every guy in the Warriors and kind of what their personality is, what they bring to the group. And then we know all the gangs as well with the gimmicks that they have. So it very much is an ensemble piece, but you know uh, all of these different characters because they all have a distinct identity, which is very hard to do in a movie with so many people in it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of it kind of marries the whole. I mean, you know, it's like a comic book personified. Exactly. Yeah. It has that wrestling. It's got that wrestling, like that. You know, the stuff that you guys do. It's like you adopt characters, you right. bring it to life, breathe life into it with all the influence that you bring to it. And every time they encountered the Warriors, encountered another gang. You're like, uh oh, 
Like, what are their superpowers? What kind of weapons right. will they have? Some dudes are doing kung fu. Some dudes are, are, are got chains and bats. Other dudes are on roller skates yeah. and top hats. I mean, yeah, yeah, you never know <laughs> what you're going to come across. And listen, I, I got a friend, Chris, uh, that I met at a signing. He just got into the Wrestling Hall of Fame in New Jersey, and he goes under the title The Orphan, based on my character, right. which is, it blew my mind, you know, when, with that. But uh, It does have that element. And like you said, even when you mentioned the video game, like it's perfect for a video game because the Warriors start at level one and then they got to work their way up all the way to the top level to kind of escape and go home. And that, that's how the movie plays where, you know, it, just when they get done with one gang, well, then here comes another and here comes another. But overall, we know that yeah. the rifts are, are, are trying to hunt them down. So it, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a kind of a morality play in a lot of ways. So that like Shakespeare could have written it is. in the oh, modern yeah. day. And then and Chris, beat this, beat this. Right now, somewhere, somebody on this planet is whipping my ass in that video game. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Danny, when I mentioned morality play? I was going to say that, you know, it, 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 New York really was that way when I was a kid growing up. I mean, if you got off the train in the wrong neighborhood, that could be your ass. And, you know, thank goodness most of that is not that way anymore, uh, for better or for worse, you know, whether, you know. But that movie will always be, you know, uh, if you want to know what the, what the 70s looked like in New York City, you can get a really good idea from that. There's always a great story in the scene that Apache filmed. There's a Molotov cocktail, or however you say that, uh, a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, and that was very rude. Will you tell it. Will you tell? Will you tell Chris that story? How that? How that played out, Apache? Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. So this is the way I remember it. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is the way I remember <laughs> it. I partied a lot back in the day. But yeah, so I see the guy. I see the stunt man getting close. I know they're gonna throw, blow this bomb up. So I see the stuntman get, he's my height, and he gets really close, and I'm like, shit, I want to be in this movie, so I get in close, too. So I see that they wrap, they put some glue on the car, and they had some kind of starter thing, and, uh, you know, uh, Walter's saying, you know, do improv until, the, you know, we blow it up. So that's where the line, we're going to rain on you, Warriors, came out, because I was doing improv, and, and he dug it. So, uh, which turned out to be the line of my life. <laughs> but <laughs> So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, yeah, we're going to kill up, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that thing blew up. Oh, my God. When a bomb blows up, I thought it was going to be like on TV. But no, when that thing went up, the uh, front of the car landed on the, that little roof, that first floor roof, glass. They forgot to take it out the windshield. So the glass was spraying all over. And when a bomb explodes, some people freeze, some people run. Me, I was laughing my ass off as I and running. As I saw the glass coming down, some people got messed up, right? <laughs> so they, they, they was like, oh, cool. Uh, okay. And this guy called Eddie the Torch, he comes out. He goes, sorry. And then Walter goes, let's do it again. So we shot it three more times. We blew up three more cars. But each time, I was way back. You know, I was way back. <laughs> because they told me... Chris, you put too much. They put too much explosives in there the first time, so they weren't sure. It's that old '70s stuff where there was, you know, the safety, the, those safety uh, things weren't not what they were today. So uh, yeah. everybody got scared, and it, it kind of took everybody by storm. But yeah, so when I first met Apache, we met, and we were doing a we were doing a podcast as well. I was able to uh, because I was in LA. I was able to introduce him to my friend Steve Mona, who's a retired lieutenant, New York City PD. He ran the, the Vandal Squad. Yeah. He ran the train. 
squad that used to chase all the graffiti writers around in, in, in the 80s and 90s. So those two got together <laughs> and he was able to bring Apache back to Long Island City to that actual street where they filmed all that stuff. And that had been your first time back in a while, I, right? Or, or yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, Steve uh, and his son was great to me. They took me there. And I got a little like misty eyed. I mean, I hadn't been there in the third at that point. I think it was thirty five years, and I, I felt like I saw a ghost, you know. And it, it was just, it was just a weird uh, kind of thing, you know, because that little bit of time has impacted my whole life. I mean, I'm sixty five now, thank God. But uh, yep. you know that, and I, and I really felt that moment. I'm forever grateful to Delta Bravo, Steve Mona, and Danny O'Connor, and that crew because that that was a wonderful thing. Was that a, a was it a one night shoot or how long were you on on set for Apache? I you know I don't remember. It was it was like a four <laughs> days, but I, I really don't remember because you know I was doing some crazy shit at that time. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris, you also know Apache. He road managed and managed a lot of hip hop groups and and with the fat boys and the whole, so he, he's really like thorough with it, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I had heard that. He, he, until he, he started working with the city as well. You should tell him some of that Apache. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I had a friend of mine on college, Arthur Baker, and he wanted, he's a super huge producer now, but he started a record label. Well, before then he said, Hey, Apache, you want to be in the record business? At that time I was working Bloomingdale's on the loading dock. And I said, sure. Yes. The record business. Next thing I know, I'm in Long Island City picking and packing records in boxes and sending them to retail stores. But from there, I became a national salesman. And then when Arthur started a record label called Streetwise Records, he brought me into the crew. And uh, we had a group that, uh, I mean, we were very hot independent label, but then we brought this group from Boston with Marie Starr uh, called uh, New Edition that Arthur had brought in. And you heard of them, New Edition just blew up. and. Uh, I managed to get some other groups in there, like Colonel Abrams, Rest in Peace. And I worked with Lolita Holloway and Earthy Kid. And then I went with New Edition when the label folded and uh, with the new management team, Steve Michaud, Rick Smith and Bill Dern. And uh, we had Ready for the World, who that was the only number one pop. Yeah. Because everybody thought it was Prince. <laughs> oh, Sheila. That's, oh, right. That's right. Oh, Sheila. And the first and then, uh uh, and then that blew up, and then that well, you know that's the way the record business is. And then uh, I was asked to road manage the la- road manage the Fat Boys last tour, um, fifty cities in twenty five days. And then uh, I ended up in New Orleans, and uh, my wife was like, "I'm not raising this daughter by myself." So when I came home, <laughs> I came home and uh, became a, I turned into Mr. Mom, and uh, <laughs> so I, my money ran out, and I said, "Oh shit, I have a degree." So I became a social worker. I retired in uh, 2016. I was on the front line of the AIDS virus. So I went from one day riding limousines to the next day because I needed a dental plan for my baby. (laughs) (laughs) I wound up uh, in the projects in the South Bronx in the Pittsfield elevator saying, what the fuck am I doing? But (laughs) yeah, I did a good 26 years. I'm feeling good about that. Thank you, bro. I got a lot of gold and platinum on the wall. (laughs) That just reminds me of all the money I wasted on uh, certain things. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's nothing wrong with you making it through our territory as long as you're coming in peace. Cut it, Mercy. <laughs> you know what that is, don't you? Yeah. Trouble. Lighten up, Mercy. Stop looking for trouble now. Should have slapped your mouth the minute you opened it. So who stopped you? Are you just gonna let an army walk through here anytime they feel like it? How's it gonna look? Get lost. And pretty soon every gang's just gonna boogie right in. Soldier right through. I'll tell you. The man you are. Let's talk about the gang, the warriors themselves, and just all the different identities, um, which is interesting because you had a couple lines that you brought up, uh, Patch, that I want to talk about. But of course, it starts uh, the, the the leader of the warriors is technically Cleon, right? He's the boss, and Swan's the war chief. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So when he when when he gets attacked, because of course uh, they think that he shot Cyrus when the rogues blame it on him. Do you, he he gets beaten down. Are we, are we assuming that he's dead here? Or do we know for sure? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good assumption. Although he might be like you, because I just resaw your match with uh, uh, Naido and, and come back to life again. <laughs> what did you think, Danny? Did you, did you think Cleo got his, got got beaten to death or, or survived? Do you think he's dead? He survived. He's gone, man. <laughs> so yeah i always wondered about that so and then of course the swan has to take over uh and he's calm cool and collected and then but ajax is always challenging him and i always loved ajax because there's a friend of mine that i met back in 1990 his name is lee olson and when i first met him i said dude you look like ajax from the warriors to this <laughs> to this day everybody calls him ajax he even calls himself ajax so all right <laughs> Well, that's the, pro- hey, that's the proper way to get a nickname. you got to get it from somebody else. If you make your own, it's <laughs> cool if somebody gives it to you. So good on you. That's right. That's right. But Ajax, talk about what did you think of him when you first saw him, Danny? Ajax, this whole attitude. I mean, between him and the and, and, and Jerry, the baseball fury, who actually is a is a is my friend's brother, they're both – those were the two toughest dudes in the movie for me. The, the number one baseball fury guy. Because I'm a diehard Yankees fan, and I thought these guys are crazy. It was a mix between Kiss and and the Yankees. So how can I not love it? And then yeah. Ajax, Ajax was just—I mean, he was the toughest in my in my mind of all the Warriors. So, but he was a, a loose cannon as well. And I don't know, looking back, uh, those kind of dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's well, funny? Because I always uh, called the baseball furies the Ace Frailies because they kind of looked like that <laughs> Ace Frailie vibe. They do. But Walter, Walter do. Hill was a big Kiss fan. That's why it came out like that. Gotcha. But you could see that. But it's funny because Ajax, too, like loose cannon, but just very like politically incorrect. I don't even know if I can say the word. We might have to edit it up. He's like, what are you guys going? F-? Like, he's just gone. <laughs> that was a different time. That was, hey, that's that. the way people talked back in the day. I and know. that's what, you know what? Sam Kinison had a great saying in the 80s. He said, man, the difference between me and you is you didn't make a record 10 years ago. And in the 70s, that was just the way we talked. It didn't exactly. mean, you know, right. just like a way to emasculate the next cat. But that was street life stuff. And so when I seen a guy like Ajax, the man, he, he rang the most true for like a, a native New Yorker in the 70s involved in like street life. That was like how they looked, they talked, 
and he did. He wanted a piece of the action at all costs. And, and, and to me, he's the most gangster gangster in that movie. Besides you, Apache, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people tell me that that uh, uh, that I looked very. You know, one of the first things I get is when I do these uh, things is a was that my real hair? Was I wearing a wig? And B, I thought you were taller. <laughs> I get the same Just thing. That's the way I carry myself. No, I'm always been a short guy. That don't mean you can't carry yourself with respect and walk around and nobody will mess with you, you know? But that's your real hair. That's the real deal. <laughs> that's the real deal. Oh, yeah, there are some great hairstyles in that. my high school photo. <laughs> I've seen it. Come on, man. Oh, no, that's what I tell people. Your hair was great. Uh, 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 Snow's hair is unbelievable. It's like this strange flat afro that kind of goes out like a triangle and just ends. That's that's yeah. the best hair in there. The Cochise. You know what's really cool on uh, on Halloween when I see a little kid dressed up as a fury. It just it makes it puts a little smile <laughs> right, on me. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I assure you. I've went as the Hanson brothers in the hockey thing. We went as the dead presidents from uh, from uh, the Patrick Swayze uh, Point Break movie, man, the surf movie. Point Break, yeah, Point Break, and we went as the Furies without a doubt, uh, maybe five years ago, man. So it's it's a that's another rite of passage, and the Blues Brothers, you know. So we have a group here in New York called Furies Revenge. I got to give them a shout out. Uh, they they go to all these events dressed as Furies. Uh, last summer, we have a thing in New York where they go from, they do the whole warrior route, where you go from the Bronx to Coney Island on bicycles. You have different stops to race. And uh, the Furies opened it up, and I got to call it up. You know, it's just so many That's cool. things related to the Warriors. Part of pop. Pop, pop totally. Remember when Shaq goes, can you dig it, when they won the title? <laughs> yeah. Just going back to Ajax, too, he was such a rebel. They had an earring. In 1979, like, oh, wow, he had an earring. It was a big deal. Now, what what would he get arrested for in the park? Uh, harassment or, or uh, soliciting? Yeah, sexual pl- harassment, for sure. Attempted rape, maybe? <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I like when he's just trying to he's trying to run away with the bench. He's just trying to drag the bench away. <laughs> and that, you know, that's Mercedes Ruel. Yes. Yeah, it is. She went on to that's do it. a lot of stuff. She did. You know, I'm thinking out loud right now, but you know the only thing that just occurred to me now that's missing from that movie from the from from a 70s New York point of view is that you guys never encountered any guardian angels at that point. Wow. Exactly. Oh, oh, they didn't go to 40 Deuce. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you came out of the 72nd station. So, Chris, just so you know, I've I've hit just about every location. I've found a bunch uh, that people maybe didn't know about. I've also, you know, there was a few other blogs that had a few of them, but we, we've hit every location that that is still like uh, around in that movie. Oh wow, really? Maybe the exception or one or two. We've been at the graveyard. We've been at the station. I even because of Steve Mona, we ended up almost getting in trouble because we went on the White Shimmerhorn <laughs> which platform where they filmed. Which, if you know anything about New York City subway filming, everything that's filmed in a subway, whether it's the taking of Pelham One Two Three. The Warriors, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. Oh wow! Yeah, a hundred other are all on one platform called the Hoyt Shimmerhorn, which has like three platforms. And I, I might be messing this up, but two of them are now uh, abandoned, so they use it. They they don't have to pull a train off the line to film over there. And uh, we went and checked all those out, but it's it's quite a thrill to uh, 
go take a movie that you're, you know, one of your childhood favorites and then to revisit the city and to go to all of those locations. And, and, and ironically enough, a lot of them look the same, especially the candy store and all that uh, one where, you know, you guys were on the roof Apache and yeah. scene and the orphan scene. It looks, yeah. it looks pretty, uh, pretty much like it did the, the day of the filming. The candy store girl, my friend, uh, David Goody, we went, uh, to where the candy store place was down in the Lower East side. And it's now a locksmith. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys also found that they found the garage too with the with all the riffs in it too. Oh, that yeah, that was a good riffs. Exactly. We so Chris and David found that Goody. Yeah, shout out to David Goody. That's 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 Apache's good friend and, and there's become like a whole subculture of people now that uh they, they, they dress up, they go to the Comic Cons, they go to every uh they got groups on Facebook, they hit all the locations and so it's it's become a, a it's got a whole cult following and a life of its own. You, you know, 2019, and it's still uh, alive and well. That's amazing. Like you said, just just how much of a pop culture phenomenon it is all across the board. Once again, much like The Outsiders, it's a movie that it's got some popularity, but it's not. Uh, deemed an all-time classic by the powers that be, but yet it is with a huge fan base uh, of generations and generations and generations because, like you said, it does hold up and the story is so strong and the characters are so strong. 1979, the number one movie was Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> the other, the other good thing is it, it you know, it starts off as a book. It was a, it yeah. was like a, it was like a dime store book, uh, Saul Urich or whatever what yeah. that dude was, and they had to they had to tone it down a little bit. I'm I'm told, but what what year was the story written in? Like the 50s, right? So it was yeah. like poppers and yeah, so it was adapted to like a 70s uh, thing. And then Apache, maybe you can you can shed some light on it. I I, I prefer always the the original run classic, but they reissued the the movie and they added comic book scenes and they try to kind of do something to where they they're calling it like a greek i don't yeah. know if that was just a you know i, like I kind of tie it to greek mythology <laughs> but i'm not that i kind of don't love that that when they do that to a film yeah. no I, I i hated that version and what it was apache and, and danny was i was reading about it because i bought that the director's cut thinking there'd be more scenes or something i just i was having a heart attack similar to the outsiders reissue that has that cheesy that's right crappy that's 50s novel, music yeah, playing yeah, so that's what Walter, Walter wanted to make the original war is he wanted to make it like a comic book with the splash page art uh, introducing the new scenes and making kind of a he wanted to do a narration, a Greek uh, 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 narration by Orson Welles at the beginning, kind of <laughs> doing. Yeah doing like a Greek mythology yeah, thing okay. and the studio is like, we're not doing that. So I think when he got a chance to reissue it, that's why you see that. And it's just a mess. I hate it. Yeah, no, it's just, it's like messing with emotions. It's like, right. We already love it as it is. And so, yeah, it, it, it should not be messed with, but either way, what a fantastic film. It's a rite of passage, man. It's the kind of film that like, if you're cool with your pops or you've got an older brother, you'll discover that movie at some point or another, someone will bring it up and, and show it to you. Uh, we had a thing here in Tulsa last year. We, we brought Apache out. We screened it at the, at the circle cinema. We had an art show uh, based on the. They on made me the feel characters. like a star. <laughs> you are a star, my friend. And in my book, it's the same way about the outsiders. Whether somebody was like, you know, the star of the movie, or they were extra, if they were in that universe, that to me is like, you yes. know. And I think you know, I don't. You don't need me to tell you that, Apache, because I see the way that the the people they gravitate towards you. 
you left such a lasting impression here with your positive, uh, you know, the whole positive mental well, attitude yeah. and your vibe. You're definitely, uh, you know, we got to do it again. But what I'm trying to get at is, is that it's re it's reciprocal. Like you put out a classic and people are still responding. And I see the way that you adopt people and you kind of ordain them orphans and they feel it. <laughs> and they feel, I feel like you got a whole crew of orphans worldwide because I see and orphanets. Lives, and I know that I made up the love is real. Yeah, I got my orphanets. It's like I said, <laughs> uh, like I said, everybody has felt like an orphan at some time. And that's been my shtick. And it's amazing how many people have responded to that because, you know, the orphans are never invited and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I have this page, uh, orphans page that uh, we have. So and I made up this word orphanets based on uh, mercy. And uh, we get to do these barbecues and we had a uh, annual fishing uh, fishing off the coast of Coney Island yep. for rogues. Wow. For rogues. <laughs> and we do that. So, you know, it's it's unbelievable. You know, I've done so many things in my life, but, uh, I'll, you know, I might go down my last thing as the orphan, but it, I could be worse. You know, it's, a, it's I'm proud to be part of it. That's what I'm saying. For, for an actor, you know, any actor, and we're talking millions and millions of people that have gotten acting, to have one part and a couple lines and people know that movie, like you said, you could have done a lot worse. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, you know, I left, uh, when I left the record business, I was kind of bitter. So I, I kind of disappeared for a long time for the 26 years. But when my daughter got married, she said, dad, you know, we can't hang out like we used to. There's this thing called Facebook. And when she turned me onto Facebook, I reconnected with so many people. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't even go out and audition for stuff. And, you know, I get parts in little movies here and there. And a lot of times they want me to say, we're going to rain on you. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun to have that kind of uh, OG status. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Now look what we have here before us. We've got the Saracens sitting next to the Jones Street Boys. We've got the Moonrunners right by the Van Cortland Rangers. Nobody is wasting nobody. That is a miracle. And miracles is the way things ought to be. Now there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned earlier, and it, it was a very kind of a, a random death in the movie where Fox gets pushed into the subway. And it's weird because watching it now as a, as a movie buff, you realize that Fox got a really built up huge throughout the movie. He's very much almost the, the second in command of Swan. And then he just dies. Yeah, he had, he had from what I understand, he had problems uh, with the director and he <laughs> He's one of the first ones to admit it. But you know what he's doing now? He's actually uh, 
uh, I got to give this a shout out, but this guy named Michael Demetrius from the Runaways, the Broadway play, the Runaways, he's uh, doing a uh, film with, and it's kind of a Warriors reunion and Thomas Waits is going to be directing it. And uh, Michael Dimitri and Lenny, his daughter wrote it. And it's about a guy who gives up his acting career, risks his acting career to be a, like a warrior, a gang leader. So Michael Beck is in on it. Terry Mikos Berman is in on it. And Dorsey Reich is also in it. And believe it or not, this orphan was invited. <laughs> nice. So, you know, they still get together, and that's a good thing. Uh, I got to spend time with Michael Beck in San Antonio at the uh, San Antonio uh, Horrific Film Festival. And we was invited there, and he's a tremendous guy, uh, just a really super nice human being. My daughter was pregnant, and he prayed over my daughter. We went to church and everything. He's an amazing guy. I've hung out with uh, Dorsey Wright. We we did a movie together, the Van Bikers trilogy. So we we uh, Dorsey Wright was 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 uh, was uh, Cochise. Uh, Dorsey yeah. Wright. Yeah. He's uh, Cleon. Oh, Cleon. Gotcha. Oh, Cleon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Dorsey's Cleon, and he's in it. He plays a a priest, and Snow is in it too. And what I liked about this movie is that they fight each other. But the Van Bikers trilogy, directed by Eric Rebus, it's on uh, Prime America. What is it? Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to myself, my uh, solo movie here, High and Tight with Seth Abrams, who's a big Fozzie fan. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> High and Tight, my 15-minute short film. Was get, we got a lot of awards. That's also Amazon Prime. So that one I'm really proud of because there's only two of us in a room. and. Uh, it's a murder story, so check it out. Check it out, yeah. We were talking about Fox, and, and what, what I had seen is that he had some kind of a falling out with Walter Hill, and they were arguing. Walter Hill just said, kill him to the stunt guy. And the stunt guy's what are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, I don't care how you kill him. Just kill him. And that's how they came up with it. It's like, okay. You know, we did a, for the 35th reunion, we did Channel 11, WPIX uh, thing. We had, it was Fox, it was Dorsey, and it was my man, uh, uh, Cochise, and they had the stunt guy that they threw into the subway, which was the first time Fox met him, and he also worked at, uh, uh, in that that Raging Bull. But that the actor that got thrown into the subway was on that TV show with me that we did that day for thirty fifth <laughs> year. But I'm what I'm really surprised, Chris Jericho, is as much money and as much stuff that the Warriors have done. For Paramount Pictures and stuff, they did not do a 40th anniversary like party or something. I thought they would, you know, get us together. We haven't gotten together for a 40th anniversary, so it's, it's kind of sad. Maybe you got to come out for the Fozzie. You got to hook it up, man. You got to get them as as your opening band or something. <laughs> Put us in the ring. But did <laughs> you get that? Did you guys do that thing with the uh, Rolling Stone, the last sub ride, subway ride home? That was kind of a reunion thing. That was a little short video I remember seeing yeah, a couple years see, ago. They only do the Warriors, and they're so like the Lizzies. There's so many of us that call us the the Warriors B Squad that we don't get invited to these things. But when we do get together, we get a big response because people want to complete their autographs. And stuff, but we don't get sure. invited. As, not we like the B squad. The Warriors are the stars, no doubt. But we have the orphans, and then we have the Lizzies, who are, you know, I still keep in touch with some of them. It's, it's uh, they're 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 cult figures in themselves. The Lizzies. <laughs> I love that scene, Danny. Tell me, what did you think about the Lizzie scene? Where where obviously 
you know, uh, Vermin and Cochise are just sucked right in, but Rembrandt is not. And thankfully, he's paying attention when it was all just a big trap by almost like the sirens <laughs> on the rock in Greek mythology. Right? I know you can see it coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Attention was palatable. What you know, one of the things that one of the things I, I love too is is the the theme music when it opens up. Oh, the music also. It was a it was a Walter Hill's homage to a movie called The Sorcerer, and that was the original theme from that. And it was used when the subway comes down the line. That 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 keyboardy sound. I'm yeah. trying to think who wrote that piece, but uh, that you hear that music. That theme music sets the whole tone for the rest of that movie. Man, it's dark and ominous, and the trains coming through the tunnels with that blue light. Ooh, that like that. It's it's another thing that's missing. You know, in today's world, is like. The, the undergroundness of the subways and Coney Island and when there was still a lot of it left and uh, Coney Island looks nothing like that and New York looks nothing like that anymore. New York doesn't look nothing like I used to hang out on uh, when I was a social worker on 30th Street my beat was Hell's Kitchen during the AIDS crisis when Giuliani was moving everybody out and turned into Mickey Mouseville I mean as uh, that whole area I used to hang out in all the Blarney Stones and the bars out there you know and yep. recently, a couple of years ago my daughter said, come on, Dad, I'll meet you at the old Blarney store because I used to take her. My daughter used to sing at the Metropolitan Opera when she was a baby. And so I used to sit, sit in there. We used to go in the bar together. She'd sing and make some money, and I'd take her to the Jack's 99-cent store. So she said, Dad, for old times' sake, let's go to the Blarney store. You know, I could not find it. It was on 30th and 8th Avenue. It's because they changed it into a sports bar. <laughs> it, did not, uh... it did not have the flavor like a guy like uh, uh, Lon Chaney cutting your roast beef sandwich, you know, it didn't, it didn't have the numbers guys in the back. You didn't have, you know, people smoking cigarettes. Of course, I used, to go, I, I used to go to the Blarney Stone. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Ah, <laughs> oh, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about uh, another one of the great characters, the the the, the evil uh, Luther, who of course shoots Cyrus. Uh, and when they ask him why, he goes, "No reason. I just like doing things like that." <laughs> what a great motivation! <laughs> but um, I mean, obviously, one of the most iconic moments, not just from the movie, but in cinematic history, is the. The three bottles on the on the hand on the fingers clicking together with the warriors come out and play. I mean, so quotable. Just a, what a great uh, catchphrase and a great part in, in that movie, Danny. Don't you think? Of course, it's, it's one of the best. Now, you you said something about you know the op- the opening in the film when they're all going to the Bronx to that park. The ironic thing about that movie is nothing was filmed in the Bronx. That, that, <laughs> that park is what is it? Riverside Park. Right, it was Riverside Park. Which is, <laughs> it's up there in the, like the 70s, but it is not in the Bronx. So that's another like one of those weird like, oh, okay, nothing was filmed in the Bronx. The, the bottle scene is it's everybody's nightmare. I mean, it's been sampled in rap songs to parodies <laughs> and other movies. Twisted I mean, Sister. Who would ever thought to take three bottles on their finger and clang them? But that's something that like a disturbed human being and a maniacal, you know, street dude would do. It's so, yeah. it's so... Yeah, perfect. And it's creepy. It's perfect, of course. Well, I heard, I heard he got the idea of come out to play, which I've heard a million times uh, from an old neighbor of his. They used to say that 
So it's amazing what you pick up growing up and you use it turned into this uh, incredible thing. It's hard to do those there bottles too with the three bottles on the fingers. I tried to do it many times before, but no, <laughs> it, it doesn't work with normal sized beer bottles. Chris, you're supposed to use your finger, bro. <laughs> The fingers, Chris, are probably too big. <laughs> I, think, I think you need those 70s stubbies. That's the st- yeah, stubby that, beers. Another thing I love, too, is at the end of the movie when uh, when he when he's holding the gun and he's on the beach, he's going to shoot Swan, and Swan throws the switchblade, and it kind of goes like a quarter of an inch into his hand, and he's screaming like he just got his hand cut off or something. He's just like, ah! What's really funny about that scene is all them brothers with hockey sticks in Coney Island. <laughs> that's some Canadian, hey, Chris, that's some Canadian trailer park boy stuff. They're still down with that. <laughs> well, you say, the greatest part is when they say, get out of here. Listen, when the, when, but Chris when the Joe is a New Yorker, he was born in New York. That's right. What were you going to say, Danny? When the Joe Walsh song kicks on, though, man, in the city, I mean, oh, yeah. What a be- there's not a better way to end that with the credits rolling up and then walking off the beach in Coney and Joe Walsh. I still get chills, man. I probably post that once a year. The ending scene is just like, you know, the perfect song to wrap a movie up. And once again, you know, you, you, I'm assuming that this movie had a budget, but it's obviously not a huge budget, but it's not a low-budget B-movie, but... In the midst of so many people, you got James Remar, Mercedes Rule, and Michael Beck, and and then this great Joel Walsh song when the Eagles were at their at their at their apex. I'm sure that wasn't cheap for them to license, you know. Right. Well, that was Larry Gordon was like the producer on that, and so he 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 did a lot of big big films. So there was there was yeah, it wasn't you know I'm sure it wasn't like your know, blockbuster budget, but they had enough resources you know to to get it done. Now what. What I hated to hear years later, and this is before the Rockstar Games, I, I worked at a company called The Firm. I, I, I had a record deal with them. They were a big management company in L.A. At the time, they managed Limp Biscuit and Corn and Pamela Anderson and a host of other people. And I worked, I had a solo album there, but I also worked with their, they bought the brand Pony, the sneaker, so I, I consulted with them on that brand. But they were talking about buying the rights to the Warriors and redoing it. And I used to tell them, like, you can't redo it. Right. And it's not that you can't do it because I don't want you to redo it. It just doesn't make sense in the modern world. And that's in the 2000s, early 2000s. It's like, again, there's, you know, to get across from, get, get from the Bronx to, to Coney oh, yeah. Island at night, it's, a, it's, a, it's car service away, right. and, you know, at worst. It's in, and it just doesn't, it doesn't play out. But there's... There's been a, a, a countless attempt to reboot that movie. Yes. I never asked, and maybe, and maybe you know this, Apache, was was there ever a sequel planned? Maybe not a reboot, but a part two or a, you know? Well, the, you know, there's been so much talk about a sequel that most fans oh, don't want it. Some do. It would be totally changed because the flavors go on the old New York and, like he said, yeah. the subway thing. But the, there was a... a uh, uh, my friend Eric Rivas, which I met through Facebook, he did a, uh, it wasn't a major movie, but it's uh, Lost in Coney Island, where he, he attempted to remake the Warriors uh, movie on uh, on a very, very sure. low budget. And that's how right. But there was no official, no, there was no. no official like part two or, or, or any, you know, but no, I know people wrote the idea of redoing it and <laughs> I don't think any of those movies should be redone. They should be hands off. 
Uh, there's no reason to do it. Oh, uh, Danny, I, I totally agree with you because it's also such a product of its time. And also, too, you know what would happen. I think uh, Apache said it earlier in that there's really a, not a lot of violence. I mean, there's fights, but Fox gets thrown into the subway and Cleon gets beaten to death. Uh, but other than that, if you're going to do it now, you know what they would do. They would totally, you know, if you look at Sons of Anarchy, just how violent and how vicious that can be <laughs> yeah, at times. You would not have this kind of... 70s innocence behind it as well of course and long term all it does is bastardize the franchise man i mean i guess if you're in the you know in the driver's seat today you don't care because you're trying to you know smash and dash but for the fans man it only it only it only cheapens the legacy man it is what it is it was what it was it's a classic movie i have a nice warriors collection and in in I, I collect a few different movies all of them were, were pretty much all fans of you know fast times the Outsiders, the Warriors, you know, a few others like that. And so I have a beautiful collection of like, you know, historic stuff. And, uh, you know, it's part of, it's, it's, it's part of, uh, mine and, 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 and a million other people's out there, like, you know, a rite of passage of just growing up in, in those times, man. And it's something I cherish. I'm, it was a blessing to meet uh, Apache and through Apache, I've met a few other people on the film and, uh, it, you know, I, I always hold the friendship dear, but it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things, man. I, I couldn't imagine life without this movie, you know, and, or my life without this movie and the influence it was because it kind of, it reinforced for me that no matter, you know, no matter what, that New York style and that era and that stuff, it's like where I came from. And so I, I, I've continued that and it, and it served me well for the most part, kind of like move through the world with like, you know, that in the quiver, if you will. It's like another arrow, you know, in my, yeah, of course, the Warriors, like, whoop, that, you know, buh, buh, buh. it's like a, it's a bop and a step that we have as New Yorkers as we move out into the rest of the world. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for that movie in more ways than one. And Chris, if they did a remake, you know, I was going to rain on the Warriors, but at my age, I'll be spritzing on them. <laughs> <laughs> Last couple things as we wind down. Um, I love uh, you mentioned in the city the DJ. Uh, you just see the close up of her lips. Ah, of course. That's something. That, Pippen, yes. Pippen. Yeah. Pippen. They named the school after her. But what an amazing uh, uh, cinematic choice to just film the close up of her lips the whole time. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Boppers. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, come on, Boppers. And she was in what was the TV show she was in? Apache. She was a long standing in one of the. I time know. Time. I knew he was going to ask me like some kind of crime and punishment. She was a judge, but they named the school from where, wherever she came from. They named the school after her. I think no, that's. that's awesome. I think she was also in uh, uh, Lean on Me, that movie that um, Morgan Freeman yeah, made. She was. Yeah, was she in that? Because I remember seeing her and going, "I know those lips anywhere." That's got to be her, <laughs> <laughs> and it was. But um, and, and also to you when we're talking about just. Uh, the gangs and so i just wanted to, to go online i just looked up the gang names and i'll just read some of them to you so we got the warriors the gramercy riffs the rogues right. that was luther's right. gang the turnbull acs they were the ones the ball-headed guys they got an extra hundred dollars to cut to shave their heads <laughs> <laughs> that was big money in the 70s and that was a big hats. deal in the 70s sure. and 80s because i'll tell you what i can't tell you how many people i met here in tulsa oklahoma that tell me they were they could have been an extra in the movie The Outsiders, but they refused to cut their hair to '60s style. And in the in the in the early '80s, late '70s, uh -huh. to cut those golden locks was like no way you were not getting laid if you had short hair. I assure you. 
Then, of course, we got the Orphans. That's your boys right there. Yeah. The Baseball Furies. Uh, another thing I was going to say, too, is there's a, whoever did the sound editing, they got their money's worth out of that uh, uh, feet hitting the cement running sound. Because yeah. you hear that a hundred times. If you're going to play a drinking game, every time somebody's running in the Warriors, <laughs> you'd be f***ing loaded in yeah. about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then you got the Lizzie's. Uh, the punks, that was the guys on the roller skates. Oh, great guy. You know, I, oh my God, his name escapes me, but he's a, he's really great guy. He was the, that story I told you about when the blonde blew up, he was the extra, the short guy sitting next to the, the, uh, car when it blew up. He was the, the roller skating guy. Oh, I can't think of his name. I hate that. He's 65 sucks. I think he's, <laughs> I think his name is Conrad. Yes, Conrad Sheehan. There you go. Great there you guy. go. <laughs> he wrote a book, uh, some about Taoists. He's a really great guy. He he works with prisoners and stuff. He's a teacher. He's a really good guy, man. Uh, you know, it's a good okay. cat. It's good people. What about the Moon Runners? You forgot them. The Moon Runners. Which 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 gimmick did they have? I'm trying to see what they I are. Forget they had a patch with a moon that looked like uh, <laughs> looked like the, the cocaine the cocaine moon Hold from on. Uh, Studio 54. Yeah, I just found it. It said the Moon Runners make their way to Van Cortlandt Park. They may look ready to jazzercise, but their standard issue necklaces, complete with moon pendants, pay tribute to their toughness. And they're wearing like headbands and uh, purple uh, net vests. So there you go. Now, what about what about the Mongolian looking uh, Chinese dudes on the subways? Yeah, yeah, my friend. When we have these, we have our little uh, our barbecues. My brother uh, James Fung, he dresses up as that guy. It's so far much fun to see all these grown Bro, people. Keep in up. mind, growing up as a kid in the seventies, you guys know, you know, Sundays it was all kung fu theater type stuff. I mean, so it had that element too, man. You know what I mean? It had like a little bit of everything. It really is. Yeah. Now that I think of it, now I know why you love it so much, Chris. It's, it's kind of a theatric. It's it's mixed with like fighting and martial arts and and theatrics and and street stuff. It's like it really is a little bit it, it, enough to chew on for everybody. It's crazy. And the, and the Mongolian guys are called the Savage Huns. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the dudes that are dressed up uh, like the pimps with the purple vest. They're called the Boppers. Yeah. Yeah, they're the, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the boppers. That's right. And then uh, there's a couple other ones here. There's the Saracens. The Gramercy Rips were the were some of the coolest ones in there, man. That was some real. That, if anything, reminded me like of a real official gang. In yeah, they were kind of they were kind of based on the Black Spades. Yeah, they look like it. They look like the early hip hop gang type stuff. Black Spades, <laughs> Spades, and uh, you know. Yeah, in, in the, the hierarchy of street gangs, the Gramercy Rips at the very top, and their leader Cyrus organizes the minute summit so he was actually the leader cyrus was right so yeah. um well i mean once again it just i think you you summed it up earlier danny just by talking about how much of a rite of passage is i'm going to show it to my son probably this weekend because he's at the age where i think he's going to appreciate it but last question for you guys and it's a two-fold one what's your favorite scene in the movie and who is your favorite member of the warriors oh oh that might get me in trouble my favorite i would have to say it's 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 close between Dorsey and Cochise, uh, David Harris, because we keep in touch a lot. And my favorite scene is the one that's the most unbelievable. Is a bunch of guys taking the time to be in a gang to put makeup on and run around with bats. <laughs> yeah, you you got to love yep. that Fury scene. You know, I mean, I love my yeah. scene, but you got to love the Fury scene because it's so unrealistic, but it works. 
It worked. But it was perfect. And what I love yeah, about yeah, that is, is Ajax's line where Cowboy can't keep up. And he's like, I can't make it. Are you sure? Yeah, good, because I'm sick of all this running. And then Ajax just goes to town. <laughs> How about you, Danny? Yeah, I mean, that's everybody's favorite. That's mine, too, man. The music in it. It's, yeah. it starts, they start coming out of the subway station. They start. They see him. They start. I mean, it's it's literally. It's like Kiss meets like. Oh, I don't know. You know, it just. It had all the right. All the Kiss, right. Kiss meets the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And it's it's just that. When I'm with you, when Ajax just steals the show. He's just tired of running. Yeah. He said, "I'm gonna yeah. kick this bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle." <laughs> when you're when you're 14, you're like, hell yeah! I, I went out in the park and tried to make popsicles myself after that scene. It's like, it's what happens when you watch the kung fu on Sundays. You try to kick everybody's ass with the stuff you saw on the television. That's right. So believe me when I tell you, Chris, that movie was like, you know. I never understood why the, why the Warriors didn't call for a cab or call their boys to come get them. I never understood. I mean, that. <laughs> and you know what? I want to say shout out to Paul Grieco, which, which was which was the orphan that that was you know the, our the, leader, the our orphan I, leader, Paul Grieco. Yeah, that that's a fantastic buddy, and he's no longer with us. But shout out to him, man. Yeah, I just want to give you a quick story, uh, Chris, because you'll dig this because you're a wrestling uh, champion. There in in 2008, there was a man uh, wrestling champion who used to be Jesse Ventura, the body's uh, tag team partner. His name was Apache Bull Ramos. Right. Right. And when he passed away in 2008, I got so many messages. <laughs> My daughter got so pissed off. I mean, because if you if you Google us, we're together. But everybody thought it was me. I don't know because he was 10 times bigger than me. But, uh, I, you know, just that it was on the Internet, that that really freaked my daughter out. I remember her going, writing this whole big thing, how her dad's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite member of the Warriors is Vermin because I think he's, he, he had a little bit of comic relief. And he just falls so hard for the for the Lizzie's. And his lines are so cheesy. 70s like, ooh, give me some of that. Like, just <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, exactly. He's like uh, meat. He's like that guy at Porky's. Meat, meat yeah, dude. totally. <laughs> <But> <laughs> he just like falls you're, right for you're it. You're a real dude to do, Chris. You know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one thing about those warriors, each one of those actors are really great guys. You know, just really nice guys. I mean, I'm an outsider when they do their little events, but they take me in when I I get inv- invited to them, and they're just I've I've kind of grown. You know, last like. 10 years, gotten to know them. Really, really good guys. That's cool. I, I think what my, what my favorite stand, if, you, if you're going by amazing one-time-only-in-a-movie speeches, you got uh, Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross. You know, this, the good news is you're right, fired. Right, right. You got Donald Sutherland and JFK when he reveals the secret to, to, to Kevin Costner. And I think Roger Hill as Cyrus. That speech is so good. It's so good. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do you better. That speech is up there with the speech that 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 Beale gives in Network, and if you've never seen Network, yes, yeah, that, that speech is like incredible. And that scene between that scene and the and the Furious chasing the Warriors in the park, I don't even know how you would film a scene with real people and not CGI with that many people in Riverside Park. Yeah, with cops pulling up and everybody panicking to run out. I don't know that how nobody got trampled, but that thing was palatable. And that felt that felt real, and that set the whole movie's tone and pace 
from that second on. Right, right from and the a, start. And a lot of New York City actors got work, which was another great thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, get get. I, I was funny because I was watching some stuff that you did at Patch. You got your own T-shirt, your own uh, orphans T-shirt. I don't do these things. The fan. This is the most incredible thing. Uh, I met a guy when I went to Tulsa. I made. I mean, I met family, and this guy named Jonathan John Ham made this incredible thing called Little Warrior, this portrait of me. And he just sent it to me for no reason. And this guy is famous. Uh, I have fans that they send me these paintings that they do of me. I mean, it's uh, these T-shirts are made. I don't I don't make them. You know, I I just fans. The love that they show me and respect is is incredible. I mean, I'm blessed to be an orphan, really. (laughs) You're one of a kind soul. And I, I, I even though the movie has that kind of pull. I think you you cultivate that just with your being, man. And I, I know I sound like I'm throwing you flowers, and I am, but it, it's worth it, man. You're you're one you're one of one, Apache, and uh, and I I'm glad that everybody shows you the love because uh, you only all you've ever shown is love to us. So yeah, I just wish my wife was 35 years was a little more. <laughs> but let me say this too, Apache, quickly. Everyone talks about your big line of you know we're gonna rain down on you, or that's a great line. I love your other line just as good when the guy goes, "We ain't got one." Yeah, we, we've been talking to our youth workers about you, and and, and you're like, "We ain't got one." <laughs> like the orphans are so low on the total pole, you don't even get invited to Cyrus's meeting, and you don't even have a youth worker. We don't get no yeah. respect. <laughs> well, you get respect from us, man. Thank you so much, Apache, for doing this. And thank uh, you, so much, thank you Danny. I appreciate it. We'll get together again soon. Always a no, pleasure, Chris. Weird. When, you, when you text me, you were on TV a couple hours later. No. <laughs> I was like, wow, I watched the whole match. All right, Bob. All right, so guys. Much. Thank you so much. Be good, guys. Stay gold. Stay gold. We ain't even got one. Orphan now, Chris. You're an honorary orphan. Wow, thank you. There you go. You heard first. <laughs> Thanks, but boys. That, you know, if you, don't, if you don't like getting invited, welcome. <laughs> we found what we're looking for. No. No. It wasn't us. It was them. The warriors. You warriors are good. Real good. The best. The rest is ours. All right, if you haven't seen The Warriors, you've got to see it. I showed it to Ash, the fish expert, the other night, although he's 15 now. He doesn't want to be the fish expert anymore, but uh, he loved The Warriors. He loved Ajax, uh, as you heard when Ajax gets arrested. Spoiler alert, he was so uh, despondent. you got to check it out. He loved the Baseball Furies as well. And remember, the next time you see Apache Ramos, you can ask him to say his famous line, we're going to rain on you, Warriors. It's such a great cult classic. So many quotable moments and so many great performances. And I'm with Danny Boy and Apache. It should never be remade. It couldn't never be remade and there should never be a sequel but i'll tell you what sequel you should check out next january great segue that's chris jericho's rock and wrestling rager at c part de. we are over 80 percent sold out so book your cabin today at chrisjerichocruise.com and have the vacation of a lifetime we're setting sail january 20th to the 24th 2020 why is there so many 20s because this vacation can be 20 times better than the rest and i want you to be there with us and here's this guest of honor the nature boy rick flair the greatest of all time is going to be on chris jericho's rock and wrestling rager didn't get any bigger than that but we could try we got the nwo scott hall kevin nash sean waltman xbox a uh, brand new WWE Hall of Famer. How about Jake the Snake Roberts? Queen Charmel and Booker T is going to be there doing his Hall of Fame podcast. MVP doing his one-man show, Most Valuable Prisoner. What a story he has. 
Comedian Brad Williams is our host. He was one of the stars of the cruise last year. Vicky Guerrero, special cruise director, and her and Eddie's daughter, Shaul Guerrero, will also be on the ship. And uh, Eddie's nephew, Chavo Guerrero, will be on the ship. You can never have too many Guerreros. We're going to have a shitload. <laughs> Jack Slade, special cruise mascot and official keeper of the ice. Even if you've seen WrestleMania, go back and listen to the WrestleMania preview. We had a, a hilarious time, especially Jack's suggestion that Miz and Shane McMahon should have a Falls Count Somewhere match. I like that. Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson will be doing 83 weeks live on the ship. Fozzie will be playing three shows during the cruise. Farewell to Fear. Rubik's Cube, the 80s cover band, will be on board. Great band uh, with Steve Brown from Trickster and Def Leppard. Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band, will be there. Dave Spivak Project is back. Jarek James Nichols is playing. How about one of my all-time favorite bands from Warner Giant of Saskatchewan? Kick-Axe will be there. Go check out the On the Road to Rock video. It was a great uh, 80s video. I love Kick-Axe, and I went out of my way to get them. I'm very excited to have them on the cruise. You're going to love them. Jared Dave Nichols, also amazing player. We toured with him a few months ago. Uh, AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Huge, huge, huge uh, shows coming up. Of course, May 25th, Double or Nothing. Do not miss that. Jericho versus Kenny Omega. And also the uh, Fighter Fest, which is coming up in Daytona Beach, January 29th. Also, uh, uh, Fight for the Fallen, I think it's called. Uh, the show that's going to be in Jacksonville. AEW's coming, baby. You can't stop us. DDP is going to be there to host more live DDP yoga workshops on the ship. Beyond the Darkness hosting more creepy paranormal events. The talent list gets longer and longer, and we'll be announcing uh, what we've announced to everybody. And now, unless there's some stragglers, but when we announced Ric Flair, we realized it didn't get any bigger than that. So go to chrisjerichocruise.com and book your cabin now. We're ready to sell out. I'm telling you, there's only a few left. So if you want to get a good one, go check it out now. And speaking of check it out, come check out Fozzie next month. May 15th in Greenville, South Carolina at the Firmament with Nita Strauss opening. May 16th, Greensboro, North Carolina at Cone Denim with Nita Strauss opening again. May 17th, we return to the Lunatic Luau in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Always a blast. And May 18th at the MMRBQ in Camden, New Jersey at the BB&T Pavilion. Thanks to the great station uh, WMMR in Philly for inviting us to the main stage on that. July 12th, Mansfield, Ohio at an Incarceration Festival. And September 14th, opening for Iron Maiden at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. So much great stuff coming up. And coming up on Friday, speaking of great stuff, Juice Robinson will be here. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling superstar. He just uh, performed in Madison Square Garden against Bully Ray. Uh, Bully Ray. Uh, he, he's got a great personality. He's going to be uh, He's a killer worker, too. So Juice Robinson, we got our eye on him, and he's going to be on Talk as Jericho to tell you all about himself and all about what's going on in New Japan. So we'll see you on Friday. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy, Marius, come out and play.